I'm your host, Bree. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Bree podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro to how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I am joined by my guest, Ben Weaver. Ben. Hi, Hi Ben. Uh, Ben, who uses he, him pronouns, is a writer, director, editor, producer, and supporter of creativity in all forms. He moved to Austin in 2012 from Fort Worth to pursue his career in media production. He worked in the entertainment industry in various capacities for almost a decade, ranging from working with Academy Award-nominated filmmakers such as Richard Linklater and Terrence Malick to producing his own work, which includes commercials, short films, music videos, a feature film debut in 2018, among other works. Ben is currently developing projects while raising his 10-month-old Catahoula puppy, Hank. Hanky! Hank! He's the best. Hank is honestly the best dog. I'm obsessed. Don't tell other dogs, but I might love Hank the most. I agree. (laughs) We might might be biased, but it's fine. Totally fine. (laughs) I am so freaking stoked to talk to you today. <laughs> Brie, I jumped the gun. I came in too early. I feel bad about that. We're going to move past it. But Listen, can I say, Yeah. I don't know if it's been addressed on the pod, but the intro to the Tea with Brie is the best intro song. It slaps so hard and I dance to it every time I hear it because I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of the podcast intros are less than, let's just say that. They're fine. They're fine. You know, they're fine. You, you, you give us a podcast and you give us a bop of top. And I appreciate it. Listen, <laughs> I don't know if I've told the story here, um, but the way I got my theme song music, I literally one day woke up and I was like, I need a theme song. Like before I even did the podcast, before I recorded anything, I was like, I want a really good theme song. I had left this other podcast and I was really in this mode of like trying something new. I also always want my own reality TV show. So I was like, what kind of music do I want it to be? And the moment, the morning I said that I was scrolling on Instagram and Mama Duke, who is a Austin based rapper, was on her Instagram story just singing this song that's now my theme song. And I messaged her and I was like, could I pay you to like change the words a little bit in this song, but make it my theme song for my podcast? She's like, are you serious? Like, no, like, I think it's so great. She was, I was literally just like messing around. I'm like, no, I love it. So I gave her a few like editorial words that I wanted her to change. And then like the whole like tea, like the ends of like when she says tea, Ray Ray, I didn't ask her for that. She just did it. And I was like, oh my God, this is so good. So it literally just was just like, gift. it was literally the universe like, hey, here you go. So it literally was just like one random day on Instagram. Like I, was I love scrolling. that so much. And I love that because it feels like the 
collective unconscious. It feels like the, 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 the drawing together, the energy, whatever you want to call it. But like when you, you know, like there are times in your life when you just feel right about something or you're like, Oh, I should go do this. And then something pops up and it just like lands in your path and it feels perfect and right and almost effortless. That's literally, exactly what that was. Literally meant to be. And I like messaged her. I was like, how much do you want for it? It's like, we talked money. Cause I was like, no, I want to pay you for it. And so, yeah, it's been the theme song and literally every person goes, your theme song is my favorite thing. Like <laughs> it's incredible. Like, not only is your show good, but the theme song is like, Oh, I know. Like she's a freaking genius. Like I, I was obsessed the minute I heard it. So thank you. Yeah, I what? appreciate that. Of course. Yes, thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I'm honored. This is such a great, just a great time. I haven't seen you. We started talking about this before the pop, but we saved it. I haven't seen you in months because months. of quarantine. Um, but I still feel like I get to see you right now, and it's nice because I I'm see so your face excited. over Zoom. I'm so excited. I know. We, <laughs> we've known each other for a little over two years now, which is wild. I feel like I've known you so much longer. Let's do this because I could not remember where we met. We met. At, at um Second Chance Prom. You volunteered with the night with Starla at front at the front desk. That was met? That was, that was two years ago. Wow. I can't believe that's when we met. That's when we met. Because when I think back onto that memory, you are already a friend of mine in that situation. We literally <laughs> met that night. <laughs> we were friends. <laughs> we met that day. We became friends. That is a huge night for a lot of reasons. One we became friends two yeah you met molly and became friends love and three molly met her girlfriend kate that night at no, that event uh-uh. wait molly met kate at the gala you're right six months later i'm Come thinking on, about two different things i'm thinking about two different you you run so many events i just get them all mixed up they, they all I, just I, run I can't together. keep them separate it's fine <laughs> they all run together yeah no molly so i met you and molly that night Molly was dating someone else at the time, but I met you two that night. I also That's met right. she who shall not be named that night because I don't yes. want to oust her. Nope. Um, and then, so that was February, March, March. I can tell you exactly when that was because uh, <laughs> it was March. It, it's a. It was the beginning of April. Yes, because you had just gotten out of situation, yes. a dating situation. Yes, I had, and I and was I was red hot with <laughs> manic energy. <laughs> Which was great for me. I love that in a volunteer. You were ready. You were ready and raring that night. And I was like, Come I was ready on. to go. I think I was wearing a nice shirt that had like cuffs on it, which you I were- don't support now, but I felt good about it at the time. And I just felt very like in my own like skin. Like I think I wasn't as dressed up as I needed to be, but I felt right about it. I don't know. There were no rules that night. It was a new, it was the birth of a new Ben, and we are here for it. Oh my gosh, it totally was. It, and it was the continuation of the, the fabulous and powerful Brie, which we're going to get into because I have a lot of questions for you. You have questions for me on my show? Yes, <laughs> I came prepared. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so we are recording right now during quarantine in July, but this episode won't come out until like November. So. Okay, been, that's really good context for me. Yeah, we also, have it. I've been for being so prepared. I've that been is recording so, so much. Well, because with me moving, I wanted to have enough episodes to right. get me ready for the move. So, oh my god. Okay, hold on. So, like, this is going to be around the time of the election. It will be. Right? Wow. The election, the election will have just happened. We are going to either be very happy or we are going to be very motivated. 
You know, as of today, July 2nd, I went and voted in the primary elections here in Austin. We had a runoff. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, the, and also today we, I just was reading something online from the ACLU about Trump trying to pass some more legislation that was, that will be detrimental to the LGBTQIA community. President Trump is proposing a rule allowing federally funded homeless shelters to turn away trans and gender nonconforming people in the midst of the highest unemployment rates our country has seen in decades. Very so, cool. Very cool. Very cool. And then also my whole thing is like people who listen to the show, people who consider themselves allies to marginalized groups, LGBTQIA community, women. If you vote for Trump, you're not an ally and I'm calling you out right now. So let's go. Let's go. I am drawing a line in the sands. So uh, listeners, if you can't tell from my nasally voice, I am a cis white male and I grew up in the South and I grew up to uh, wonderful uh, religious conservative parents. They're incredible, but uh, they have different political ideologies than I do. And I kind of have decided to draw a line in the sand and I'm preparing to tell them like, hey, mom and dad, if you vote for Trump this election, me to, to see me for any holidays in the next four years. I'm sorry, I'm not going to come. You said it's like a one issue vote for you about taxes or some shit like that. Well, now it's two issues, seeing your son. And that's super like aggressive, but I don't know. I kind of was taking like the Harvey Milk approach where you have to like make it real to people because uh, I think it's that serious. I don't know. What do you think? I agree, but I also have feelings. So like with me, I've been doing a lot of work around diversity, equity, inclusion, talking about racism, LGBTQIA issues, you know, the whole gambit of everything I talk about. And so I've been talking to a lot of allies and just people who themselves find themselves in marginalized groups, but who are white. And so while I stand with your decision, because I think a lot of us are having to, for lack of a better term, put our money where our mouth is or put our vote where our mouth is. I also have been challenging white people who are like, well, I'm going to stop talking to my parents. I'm like, but what does that do? Great point. What Great kind of, point. if you close the door of conversation, it doesn't change anything. Like if you, you know, yes. for those of you who have racist or bigoted family members, if you stop talking to them, they might not have anybody else in their life who's willing to call them out on shit. And I've been point. telling people like there are rooms that I can't get into because I am black, because I am a woman, because I am queer, but you as a white person, or a straight person or what have you can. And so while I will always say, err on the side of caution and your safety is number one, but also challenge you to be like, is there any space at all that you can have conversations with these people? That's an incredible point. My sis, I told my sister about this idea and she was less than enthusiastic because she was like, is that coming from a place of love or are you just trying to manipulate somebody? Mm -hmm. And I was like, that is a great point. Uh, and so listeners, you're gonna, know this about me i throw my hat over the wall and a lot of times and sometimes i have to go get it and come back and sometimes i just stay there it's it's really a toss-up with me i'm really great with ideas uh, but i think that definitely having a conversation about this election in as many ways as you can is important because for a lot of people and i'd love to hear what you think about this a lot of people just don't talk about things there are groups of people who do, but some are kind of like, we just do our things and we keep it hush hush. And that's kind of, you know, living in the shadows like that is where stuff gets nasty and where mm -hmm. bad choices are made. And so I think that bringing these things to the light and talking about them is the way that we can make progress. And sometimes 
you know, you have to, you have to push a little bit. Um, yeah. I was saying something the other day to people that for a long time, societally, we were taught, we don't, you're not supposed to talk about religion or politics. And now that is probably the, the two of the top two things people talk about between, you know, this connotation that there's separation of church and state, which literally is, there is not. A lot of the things as to why lawmakers try to pass things is because of their religious viewpoints, which that's a whole different tangent we can get into later. But I think that our society was taught for so long not to talk about politics so that we weren't educating each other and having conversation. The people in power know that if, you know, the people who you serve and report to rise up and hold you accountable, there will be a lot of politicians out of work. So it was, I think it was another way to keep the masses at bay, to make sure we weren't communicating with each other, to make sure, you know, we, we weren't sharing our lived experiences or telling our viewpoints as to why we do things. So I think that's where this come from, comes from, is really keeping us, you know, kind of away from each other and not, and not challenging each other. Because if you get someone who constantly votes down ballot, down ballot for Republicans, and they never have anyone come in and tell them, you know, well, this is actually what's happening when you vote for a Republican or a Democrat or a liberal. Like, so if it, like, even still, like we see now at the voting polls, like you can have all these posters outside of the different candidates, but you can't wear any sort of affiliation in, like you can't wear like a blue Democrat, any sort of like wording on your shirt when you go in to vote. Like you can't even, like I almost today accidentally wore my uh, Maddie Eden for District 17 shirt. You know, Maddie's election isn't even today. Um, but even if I if I would have worn that, I would have not been able to vote. I would have had to either turn it inside out or change or come back another day. Like, they still don't want you any sort of affiliation when you walk in there, right? So wow. I think, yeah, I there's a, it's voting in Texas. Voting period is fucking weird. Um, Maddie Eden is running for House District 17, and her and I talk about, you know, the the things behind voting, like how you know, vote by mail, registering to vote, how much, how difficult we make it so that people can't vote, voter suppression, the purging of the voting list, like all this information and how we aren't taught actual like civics anymore. Like I remember growing up and having like a full civics class, history class, like the whole thing. And, you know, Schoolhouse Rock was big and that taught you what you need to know about like the branches of government. But yeah, I think we have been so ingrained and indoctrinated for so long not to talk about politics with people that now that the conversations are happening, I think it just makes the older generation really uncomfortable. Totally. That had, I have so many thoughts and so many directions that I want to take this. I think, so I came out of the gate hot saying that that was something that I was going to do. And to be honest, it's something that I'm considering doing because of what you said, where it's like, it is just ties the most effective way to produce change um and maybe it's a last resort maybe you have the conversation and and nothing changes um but i do think that i come from a group of people who uh don't talk about anything and so having conversations is very difficult yeah and i grew up in a very chatty family I, I grew up in a very chatty family where everyone knows your business within like two days and <laughs> We were also taught, you know, to to value ourselves and value our opinions. I mean, I think my entire family, like we were taught very early in life to like own our space. And I think this comes from like black <sighs> culture, especially like the black church, where, like we were often put on stage to like sing and act. And so I always tell people that that's where a lot of like my activism and public speaking really started is 
I remember when I was like maybe like four or five and the woman who used to babysit me would teach us Spanish. And so one of my cousins and I went to the same daycare. So we learned how to sing a bunch of songs in Spanish. And every Sunday we'd have to go and sing in front of the church in Spanish. <laughs> so it was just like this very empowering thing that I felt. And like, even when like you messed up, you have like the support of like everyone in church. Like, it's okay. Keep going. So I, Ugh. I think about like that rallying that was around me as a, as a wee little infant baby Brie is I, what I like to call her. <laughs> oh, I bet baby Brie was so wonderful. And I love that. I love that idea of the culture, the church culture, you know, like, teaching you how to own your space and like own your opinions and your individuality and your identity, I guess, um, because yeah. that was not the experience in the conservative church that I grew up in. Um, yeah. There was, was, it was, uh, what, what denomination were you? Did you? Um, the name of my church growing up had the name Baptist in it. So I grew up in a Baptist church, but in the North, gotcha. in the okay. North. So not okay. as rigid. And my Godfather is actually, was my pastor. Um, he became pastor of that church when I was 11, 12 or 11. And, you know, having a godfather who was a pastor is really, he's probably the smartest man I know. He's a lot of my wisdom I pull from him. Like he's, when I'm writing a book, I'm writing a memoir and I'm going to ask him to write the foreword. Like it's a whole Yes. Thing. I love that. And it's I love like, that, that a religious figure, figure is the, one of the smartest people, you know, I think that's how it should be. Well, that's you know. the thing too. Like he taught us, like he always asked us and us, I mean me and then his four kids of like, you know, he asked that we go to church every Sunday, but also he challenged us to like, you know, just because this is the religion I chose for myself to, I don't want you to be so closed minded. Like let's have conversations. So we've always talked about how religion is really about relationships, not rules, which I think mm. has been so beneficial, especially with me moving here, coming out. Um, his youngest son, my god brother, is queer. And so, like, he came out before I did, and then when I came out, and I've shared the story in the podcast before, but, like, with me, I was so nervous to come out to the, to my godfather. I was like, I'm not, like, your actual kid. Like, you could disown me. He's like, no, you're my kid. He's like, I've basically, like, I've been around them my whole life, right? So, like, when I, when my mom passed away and my dad and I had a falling out, like, I basically lived with my godparents and my grandmother, which was very beneficial, but like with him and having those conversations from a really young age of like allowing us to question our beliefs and ask him questions and, you know, be able to not challenge, but have a dialogue around religion. And, you know, now as a queer person who is still struggling, struggling with my faith, not because I don't believe in a higher power, but because people who believe in the quote unquote same God that I do have used it as a way to separate and not bring together and how detrimental that has been for queer people. And I was listening to a podcast the other day with Renee Brown, and she had Austin Channing Brown on there, who was brilliant. And Austin Channing Brown was saying that, like, you know, Black people celebrate one Jesus, Black Jesus, and white people celebrate white Jesus. Black Jesus would be out with the sex workers and the trans folks protesting, saying Black Lives Matter, uh, down for abortion rights. Whereas white Jesus is used to make everyone feel guilty and not good enough. And so that's been one of the things I've been really holding on, you know, as I continue to think about my religion. That is such a great way of describing the two differences, because that's basically what I was going to say is I grew up in the denomination of Church of Christ, which is not Churches of Christ, which is uh, a denomination that is super progressive and inclusive and awesome. Church of Christ uh, is a Southern denomination whose uh the way that you can tell what they are is that they don't 
they think that instruments uh, are sinful and you shouldn't use instruments and uh, women can't have any leadership roles, which that's kind of across the board in a lot of them. Uh, but yeah, it's the instrument thing is what they were known for. And I grew up in Dallas, Fort Worth in a church that was kind of progressive. Uh, it was essentially kind of like a mega church for churches of Christ. Um, so there, I have still, I still have like a lot of baggage that I'm untangling from that, but, uh, I kind of was like the golden child in all of my church groups and all my youth groups and all of the, the different churches we moved when I was 10. So both of the churches that we went to, I kind of was the, the shining figure, you know, the one who was going to be a missionary when he was, I thought, I thought I was going to be a missionary when I was in eighth grade, you know, um, and was just memorizing scripture all the time. This is at church three days a week, like very, very active. And as I got older, I started to like feel the differences and the discrepancies, um, specifically like the church that I went to in Fort Worth did a massive renovation and had just excessive amounts of opulence in this church. But like, like big screen TVs and like, you know, like a huge youth group with like an arcade and like, like you know, concession stand. And it was like, there was that huge coffee shop and that type of thing. And it's like, this doesn't make sense. And then as I grow up, I, I, I get a little bit more cynical and I'm like, Oh, churches are businesses that don't get taxed. Uh, but at the time I just like had to live with this, this, like illogical dissonance. Um, and it's something that has kind of stayed with me because as a queer person uh, with a religious background and a religious family, I've experienced the situation a lot in my family where I get the love and support for me, but I get the rejection of who I am as a queer person. And it's this very strange thing to try to wrestle with. Uh, and it's this weird limbo and in between where like I'll be talking with my my parents and at one point I remember my dad was like I, I pray for you every day to find a, a good Christian woman and I was like you are wasting your breath because so I found a great sexy man and he is awesome you know like hey, it's Steven. just my <laughs> name is Steven he's the best and it, it was just like I don't know that that dissonance is something that's very strange um but yeah, like going back to what you said about like feeling guilty, the guilt and the emotional codependence that I was, that I learned from the church and kind of like always checking in with other people to make sure that you're okay. And in a, in a negative way, like that is how I grew up and, and is what's kind of inside of me. And I don't think that was the intention of religion or spirituality. You know, I think it's what you said, which is it's about relationships feeling closer and building community and and now religion is so divisive and that's like not how it was meant to be and so you know episode two is with my friend Aiden who is a trans pansexual man who is in seminary to become a pastor yes I want to say in the evangelical episcopal he's gonna listen to that one of those something with the e Listen to the episode. I can't remember. It's been a long time. Episcopalians rock from what I remember. Um, But for him, it's been a lot of conversation because there's been such conversation of like, A, should, you know, 
women be able to be the head of the church, but B, now you're asking if queer people could be in positions of power in the church too. So we had like a whole conversation about that too, but I, I just never understand how there are groups of churches that don't want to diversify what the leadership looks like. And I don't trust that plain and simple. I mean, it kind of sounds like a conservative ideology of the idea of to conserve is to prevent progress versus progressive is to progress, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not as simple as I make it out to be, but I kind of like just kind of like whittling it down to be like, oh yeah, they just don't want change. Um, who did I hear? I heard somebody say recently that uh, that tradition is just peer pressure from dead people. And I think that that it kind of applies to the traditions of religion in a lot of aspects. Can you say that again? Because, oh my God. <laughs> I can't remember where I heard it, but it, they said that tradition is just peer pressure from dead people. And I think that that's Man, that, of, just, that just blew my mind. Yeah, that's why it stuck with me because I said it to my parents and they didn't really appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> but I think that, yeah, holding on to things just because that's the way that they've always been done doesn't make any sense. You know, I think that there is something to be said for loving where you come from and loving the history of, you know, what, whether it's an organization or a family or a religion, whatever. Like, I think that's one thing. But I think that it's so important to see where you are in the moment. You know what I'm saying? Like, the there's the phrase, I think Jesus said, uh, be in the world, but not of the world. And I've been thinking about that phrase a lot recently, um, specifically as it applies to white people during the current moment in, you know, July 2020, um, with everything that's happening. You know, like, in order to exist right now and not be active and educating and supporting and listening and learning is to not be in the world. You're in a dreamland. You're in a fairy tale. You're in a world that was created for you that only benefits you and you're not helping anyone. And I think about that a lot because it's such a, a rallying cry, at least from where I came from to like be in the world, but don't be of it. And just, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I've been thinking about how a lot of, how I've felt and I, I feel like the places that I've come from have not even been in the world. They've just been somewhere else, you know, like in a, in a dream. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I just uh, wish we could be in a place that, again, this country was so you could celebrate all religions and all the things. And I feel like we aren't there anymore. Like you can't openly practice religion. And I guess like, people but give me the argument yes yes you can you can still go to the church you want to i'm like but there are people who still discriminate against jewish people who still discriminate against muslims so don't say we have like freedom of religion in this country when we're we see how you know the kkk who should be a domestic terrorist group which no one has announced them as yet i'm just gonna keep saying it every week on the show it's unreal and just, you know, all these things are like how many things are in place to continue to perpetuate that people of color and marginalized groups are awful and to uphold white supremacy. But that's a different tangent for a different time. <laughs> no, it reminds me, though, um, one of the things that I keep thinking about is um, a fact that I re-remembered after re-watching the 13th documentary which is the idea that the KKK got a lot of its iconography from 
Birth of a Nation, which was a, a film from the 20s, uh, which was a, a huge success. And, you know, it's, it's regarded as one of the famous films in cinema history. It's one that you're supposed to know about and, and recognize as a great, but it is responsible for the rebirth of a terrorist organization in our country. And I have to reckon with that because film and movies is my medium. It, it's got so much in my heart. And I have to reckon with the idea of, okay, part of a piece of the thing that I love is very corrupt. You know, what do I do with that? I don't, I, I haven't, I haven't come to any answers with that. I mean, I'm not so really I don't have watching it, but. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had an answer for you, but I do not. Do you ever get that feeling when you, you look at really just like inappropriately attractive people on social media and it like kind of makes you upset? Like not like you're going to do anything, but you're just like, what the fuck? Like, what, what am I supposed to do with this knowledge that you're this pretty? So I have started unfollowing accounts that make me feel bad about my body. Yes, ma'am. Yes. This is what I want to talk about. Let's transition <laughs> into this type of conversation because this is important. The idea of paying attention to your body and how you feel. The idea of, oh, this thing makes me feel bad, so I'm going to take it out of my life. Very simple, but also very hard to do. I have um, been, as a person who has struggled with body image issues and eating disorders and just being so hard on my body. I read something the other day from this podcaster I love. Her name's Crystal from The Read. And essentially she was saying, if you gain weight during this, this time, like during, during the pandemic and social distancing, be kind to your body. It's keeping you alive. Yes. And I was yes. just like, okay. Because like when we first went into quarantine, I was like, I'm going to work out every day. I'm going to eat this and not this and now you know march i'm sorry may was a really heavy month and i was like give yourself some space and now we're here we are in july and i'm like okay maybe i'm ready to like slowly ease back into you know eating better and not like i was eating bad i just you know the whole eating better trope but you know right. prepping some more things because i'm the kind of person who will wake up at 8 a.m and do a bunch of things and keep busy and then i don't eat till like 2 p.m like i'm very bad at eating how does that i don't understand that i don't understand y'all like my I, like my body goes into a, like a, a version of shock when I don't eat, and I think it's like I have too much acid, and so I just feel nauseous. Does that is that not happen? It doesn't happen. I mean, like for example, um, earlier today I was like doing laundry and cleaning up like my external hard drive. For me, especially since turning thirty, I was like, if the worst thing in life is that I'm fat, great. If the worst life. thing in life. If the worst thing, if it, the worst thing in life is that I've gained weight and I'm not a size two, great. And the thing is, like, a lot of my clothes don't fit me. Everything is loose on me now. I've just been so hard on myself because I've been like eating what I want to eat. God forbid. <laughs> God forbid you you pay attention to what your body's telling you and what you want. No, it's it's hard and like, especially in quarantine. And I wonder. Uh, I have a hunch that you are an extroverted person and I know you've set, stated as much on the pod, but uh, I want to know how quarantine has been for you in so much as I am an introvert who was raised as an extrovert. And so quarantine has been great for me. Like I have, I live with Steven and Molly uh, and there are three, there are four of us because of Hank in this house. So I, have plenty of people to talk to. I feel great. I can tunnel when I need to and be alone and I'm fine. 
how has quarantine been for somebody who I assume gets their energy from being around other people? Have you been, it's how, been how have rough, you been rough? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when we first went into quarantine, like I was working and so I had a, I had a job still and I got let go in May, but like having work was like good, but not good. I didn't like my job, but you know, having to like check in constantly with someone was interesting. Like it kept me accountable, but now I've yeah. just been doing FaceTimes and phone calls. Um, but when we first went into quarantine, it was right the week of my birthday, my 30th birthday. And you know, I do my birthday big. So it was, mm-hmm. it's been rough. I mean, I'm single. I live alone. I don't have kids. I don't have pets. So it, it was, it was rough those first two months to the fact that my friend was like, no, we're hanging out because I'm worried about your mental health. Like it was just like so yes. bad. I was so depressed. And she was like, listen, I feel fine. You feel fine. Let's just hang out. Some days it's just like I'm willing and this might be a privilege and I know like COVID is affecting black people at a higher rate. But I mean, right now I feel fine. All my friends are taking precautions, but I'm also just like, I need human interaction. Like it's like sometimes it's just life or death for me. Like my depression gets so bad when I'm by myself. Yeah. And that's something that you have to battle against. Like I remember um, I was never, I was not, I'm not clinically uh, depressed. Um, but there have been periods in my life where some of the symptoms of depression have popped up. Um, and the things that I would do to not take care of myself, uh, just, you know, I would just like continue to spiral. I would like do the things that actually made me feel worse. And one of the things is, and this is, this is, I don't know what this makes me, it feels very white, but I don't know. I would, I would listen to the band Counting Crows Uh, And that was like my tell. Like if I was listening to them, I was like in a spiral, which is actually kind of interesting because the lead singer and songwriter, Adam Duritz, is he has a lot of mental health issues and he kind of just like channeled all of that into his music. So I don't know if you can actually feel it when you listen to it, but I was like, I love this. This guy's like really sad and it feels really good because I see myself in this. And now like when I feel the impulse to like, one of their records i'm like okay maybe i'll just like you know go walk outside and not do that <laughs> take a little take a little stroll around the block do you but i wanted to ask like have you as you've grown older have you found your own tells like have you found the things that are like symptoms of either good or bad i'm interested like uh like you about to go down a bad path or you about to like be in a good space yeah. Um, if I stop cleaning, which I know is like a tell for a lot of people, but I'm like such a, like every other weekend I clean my whole apartment. It's just what I do. It brings me joy. I listen to lemonade. Yeah. Loop. I listen to at least oh. lemonade once or twice. It, it, now it's lemonade and homecoming by Beyonce. Cause obviously. Well, you know, you know this about Steven, by the way, that homecoming Obsessed. is on in our house. Uh, every 48 hours <laughs> i've seen it probably upwards of 50 times in its entirety and then well, see i just listened to the spot i just listened to the spotify playlist of it now he I'm knows just... i learned i tried to learn that i've been getting the money like that part i tried to learn that dance i can do i can do a little bit of it i lost it though again um, y'all ben is white and i'm dying over here it watching is dance. dude i look oh I mean, I can do it. I can do a little bit of it. I'm sitting. I'm sitting in front of like a uh, what are these called? A storage file box, so I can't really bust it out. Um, but just like imagine Beyonce doing that part, and then 
you know, picture like a white guy doing it. That's exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's great. We all are missing yeah. out, honestly. Um, so that's one of them. Like when I, when I stop, when I stop cleaning is one. Um, Real May? quick, another tangent. Yeah. If you had to pick what is your favorite track off of Lemonade? I know it's tough. Immediately, I think Sandcastles. That is so funny because that would be my last pick. <laughs> I think it's just, I mean, I'm not going to do her justice, but just like the, the, I could cry, like the raw emotion it's so of, raw. of Sandcastles. Like, I want to sing it so bad, but I'm not going to do it to my listeners, but I love that song so much. I if not ru- that it is go ahead I'm kind of thinking no, what else is up there no 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 I just I ruined that song for Steven and I will not do it for you but be, 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 just because of the way she says sand castles at the very beginning she's like we built sand castles like it's this weird like inflection and I hear it every time and I just like I can't unhear it and who am I to be criticizing the greatest who entertainer of you? all time <laughs> I know okay but I, I it's the same for Bad Idea by Ariana Grande. Like the way that she says a bad I she's like, a bad idea. It's like this like springboard. And I'm like, I can't unhear it. And it just ruined the song for me, which sucks because you're right. Like that is such an emotionally raw song. I think song. it's Sandcastles and Don't Hurt Yourself. There we go. I'm my top two. Don't Hurt Yourself is fine, yeah. I mean, I I, you know me. I'll sing in a drop of a hat. That's not the problem. But I fucking love Sandcastles. I also just, lo- I love the video of Don't Hurt Yourself. Mm. It's so gritty and, and just, ugh. Anyway, okay, that was a tangent. So you said cleaning is one of your tells. <laughs> one of my tells. May is always a super hard month for me. And I've talked about it on the show before. Like, I just, you know, I lost my mom in February one year. My grandfather in April. My friend Nick in April. Um, Mother's Day is in May. So May is always like my, like really like your body remembers trauma. So May is like my like do nothing sort of depression, depression episode month. So like also with me, like I shut down, like I clear my entire schedule. I don't make plans in May. Um, I really like stop talking to people and you know me, like I am extroverted, talk to someone every single day, but May just kind of shut down. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I yeah, go. So that's, in- that's like a, a super, that's like a emotionally it's a, it's a volatile time. month yeah it's a time yeah um like i have to like so with me like in may like i set like a little today i would like to accomplish lists which if anyone knows me i'm really good at like to-do lists every day that are like seven pages long and i typically get everything done but in may i am so depressed I'm like today i would like to get this done and it's like two items of like make a cup of coffee and shower and like yeah. Dude. Setting really small things I know I can maybe accomplish, and if I don't accomplish them, great. That is truly one of the easiest ways to like feel like you've done something is to like create a list of things to do today to do, to do that day, but limit it to like one or two. Because what I'll do is I'll load it up with like nine things, and then I'll just feel overwhelmed all day. But if I'm like, hey, I really just want to like clean the shower today, can you do that? If it's like not, then I'll be like, okay, actually just like sweet, you know, but like the idea of just checking something off, like who was it? It was that guy. I think it was a, a te- University of Texas commencement speech. Some guy talked about it. He was like a, he served in the, in the armed forces and he uh, talked about the importance of making your bed every day because he mm-hmm. was like, it just like starts your mind. I make my bed every single day. I would have guessed that about you. Do, I'm a, I'm a do you get maker. from me that I don't? Yes. 
<laughs> I feel like I Steven do. makes your bed every day. Oh, a thousand percent he does. <laughs> but one of the things that I've instituted recently is uh, a five minute daily task that I can do that clean, like cleaning the house because that's like his thing. And I was like, well, it's not my thing at all. I do not care about cleanliness, but you do. And you receive love that way. So I'm going to do this every day. And (laughs) well, it's like, uh, I've lived with, I've had relationships with a lot of people who give love in the way that they receive love, not necessarily in how the other, in the ways the other person receives love. And it's just so frustrating. And so like, it's so easy to like ask people how like they receive love. And if they don't know, then just spend time with them and you can kind of figure it out a little bit. And to give them love that way, for me, it kind of feels really easy because it's like, I know I'm doing something that this person can receive. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but cleanliness is so funny. For me, my tells when I'm spiraling are counting crows, um, obsessively listening to podcasts. Like I listen to them like regularly, but like if I'm just in my own world, like not talking to people, just like mainlining podcasts, it's kind of a tell. Conversely, my tell for when I'm like thriving is when I floss my teeth on like a regular basis, Hmm. (laughs) which should be something that I should be doing all the time, but like I get lazy Um, and I have wires from like orthodontry. Oh yeah, braces life, we know. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Anyway, the most boring tangent. Can we... (laughs) We, you asked <laughs> no i was talking about myself i wasn't talking about you oh um, so sorry yeah no, no my um is boring. yeah i'm trying to think what else um i mean i'm also like like i on the on the reverse of that of like ways i take care of myself i think yes. one of the most beautiful ways is like i will take i try to take baths like when, when I take a bath and I will save up episodes of Red Table Talk, which is Jada Pinkett's show with her daughter and her mom. Yes. And so I save up episodes for that so I can take like a really long bath of like wine, s- salts in there, oils. Like I once made yes. a bath that had flowers like in it, like fat, like flower petals. Like I cut off like the top of flowers and just dropped the whole head in there. Like I love that. Candles, I- the whole shebang. Brie, I am the exact same way. And it has been frustrating to me for the past two weeks because I got a tattoo and I haven't been able to take a bath and I am losing my mind. Once I recognized that Lush was a business that I could buy products from, my life changed. Uh, Once I accidentally put a bubble bar into my bath when I thought it was just like a bath bomb and the bubbles came up, I was like, I am in a whole new world. A happy this accident. This is changing my life. We love to see a happy accident. <laughs> yes. Yes. hundred percent agree. Love that for you, honestly. Well, okay. So now listeners, I'm going to have you keep re accountable to this. Whenever this comes out, uh, she, within the next three days, she should have taken a bath. Okay. Make so sure that she, <laughs> yes. Make sure she knows that she's taking care of herself. I want that. I want to sick your readers on you. Your readers, your listeners. My listeners, <laughs> the, the content peeps. Yeah. Okay. I will take a bath. I will do that. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, yeah. I mean, when I'm thriving, you know, talking, being in community as much as I can, 
I think I'm also trying to learn to find the balance of saying no. And I'm really learning that now with me moving to Philly. Yeah. I finally made a decision, people. I'm actually moving, although it's going to be a very expensive move because I'm not working right now. So Wait, are you announcing this on this spot? No, they knew I was moving, but I've been okay. like going back and forth about it. But now I'm like legit in it. And I real I yeah. did a poll on my Instagram the other day of like, should I move? And like I basically did a PowerPoint slide as to why <laughs> pros and cons for both. And 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 my followers voted and it was seventy one to twenty nine me moving to Philly. Oof. Yeah. So it was like it wasn't even like close at all. Um so right. I've I've decided they, to do did you interpret that as them seeing that them them saying, Hey, this is like a positive move for you or them saying, Hey, Austin sucks, go somewhere else. It was a mix. <laughs> it was for sure a mix of people being like, you know, I don't want to be selfish or my vote is selfish. Like a lot of people were like Austin, it was like, cause they want me to stay here. But yes. even people who lived here after reading my reasons as to why I wanted to leave. And it's a, it's a spread of our governor being trash. Um, Austin not being very diverse me wanting to move closer to family like there's a bunch of different what reasons why i wanted to move but All a lot of people reasons. like a lot of people responded and we had conversations and a friend of mine was like what feels better in your body like just sit and ask your, yourself the question and i was like austin is safe philly it makes me scared but i'm excited and she's like fear don't let fear keep you here and a friend of mine was like listen as a person who's moved 15 times in the last three years She's like, do it, jump. She was like, I think with me just being older now and not having a job, I've just been really scared. My friend made a good point. She's like, you didn't have a job until a week before you left for Austin. Just do it. I was like, that's true. So we're not letting yeah. fear keep us. So we're jumping. I love that so much. That's kind of that's kind of a great segue into my like loose topic that I proposed for today's episode, which yeah. was creativity. Um, but it's such an important thing that happens, which is when you're scared to do something it's oftentimes a good indicator that you should do it um there's this there's this book have you read um the war of art by stephen pressfield i have not it's a incredible like a hundred page book where he just describes resistance which is the force that basically makes you not create um and it comes in various forms and one of the the forms is fear um and when you feel fear about something it's oftentimes a good compass to be like hey that's kind of where i should be driving i I do want to talk about creativity though because uh it is and and this is where i i want to get to because i know you we are friends we are close and you are one of the most um active is not the right word you are kind of one of the most and doer is kind of a better word, but you're one of the people that I know who's like, you live your life and you do things, you, you're active, you, you know, you participate, you plan things. And I wanna know, like, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but I kind of wanna know, is this something that you've always done? Or is this something that you've kind of cultivated in yourself? Because when I look at you, one of the things I think in terms of creativity is you are an insanely creative person because of the things that you do and that oh, you plan. Wow, that's you know what I'm saying? That's fascinating. The, I had a the conversation. people that you bring together. Yeah. It's it's interesting you say that. I had this discussion with some friends back in November of I didn't create I didn't consider myself to be a creative. And all three of them are like, Are you fucking kidding? 
And I was yeah. like, well, I don't make things like you. They're like, you have a podcast, you public speak, you write, you do all the, I was like, oh, I guess so. And like how d- hard I've been on myself when we talk about that. So mm-hmm. I, f- I for sure have been like this for a long time. I mean, I think back to just like growing up, like I was always involved in something from sports to um, student government to. Wait, what were sports? What'd you do? Volleyball. I played volleyball. I did ballet for for like a week when I was five. I did karate (laughs) for two years. Okay. Um, I I wouldn't have messed with you before, but now I won't even mess with you. I mean, I was little when I did karate. I was like kindergarten, first and second grade. I was like, baby. I, uh, my parents, I love them, but they let me quit too many things. Like I wish they would have made me stick with ballet more. Mm. I think if they would have let me do gymnastics or ice skating or ice skating, I'd be an Olympian. I mean, I have really muscular legs and I feel like I was... (laughs) You were like I was destined. Dipped. I was dipped, honestly. <laughs> That's um, I love that you're like, I have the hardware. I, I would have <laughs> would have been an I could have been pre-Gabby Douglas. I'm just saying. I was robbed. Um what else? Um so yeah, I've always been super involved, like I said, from you know, church. I did theater for a long time growing up. I've always been in some sort of choir or musical group. I didn't do theater in high school. That's one of my biggest regrets to this day. I was gonna say, I feel like I remember I heard you say this on an earlier pod that you did theater, and I was curious, uh what like what were some of the productions? What do you remember? What I didn't did I didn't doing? do theater during call during high school. I did theater in middle school. I did two plays in middle school. I do not remember what they were. One oh one was called Remembrance Stuff. I remember the intro. I don't remember my outlines in it, but I remember the play. Um, it, was, it was called Remembrance and rem- Stuff. Rem- remembering Stuff. And oh, it was like a really stuff. heavy play. And I got to Love go. it. Remembering Stuff. That makes me think of the last five years with Anna Kendrick. Oh my God, I love. Can we just say, can we just say, I mean, really, an incredible way, just come out the gate with like one of the best songs just start your start the play with like the banger that's actually a really sad ballad <laughs> i saw so before the movie came out i saw the play the year before they were doing uh, a run uh, of it where i grew up um the longworth theater in new haven my friend my friend was the theater director there and well not theater he was like in charge of the the theater and so he got us tickets and i went and i bawled that entire play unbelievable and just the way that the play is like from both their viewpoints were from like different times, like from forward to forward to moving forward and then also moving backward. It's such a good show. Um, I love it. And I love that it's five years because it's simultaneously, you're like, oh, that's just five years. And it's like, oh, five that's years. A, that is a huge portion of your life. I just got Especially chills. your heart. I have such chills. That play is so good. I mean, did you see Ariana Grande singing? Uh, she sings uh i died i you died saw it. you know yes. okay I, why can't i think of the? i can sing it to you but i can't think of the oh my uh, god Jamie the title of the song and, uh, Jamie is gone. yeah that one um is it still, hurt? I, I it's still it. hurting and i'm still hurting there it is yes ma'am oh Ugh. when we do karaoke at our house and you're over it the next time you're do, we're doing still hurting i'm gonna do like <laughs> very far background vocals so i'll be like the violin <laughs> Uh, you know I'm always down for karaoke. Um, but yeah, I, I that's one of my biggest regrets that I didn't do do theater more. Um, and then I really got into activism. I think it started in high school. It's when we had to we did a fundraiser for volleyball, but the money we raised was going to Hurricane Katrina relief. 
And then in college, I did social work. So, I mean, every single thing I've done since then has been activism. And then here in Austin, I kind of jumped in when I moved here. So I've been doing a lot of activism and public speaking, primarily around reproductive justice, women's rights, LGBTQIA rights, and Black Lives Matter. I remember my senior year in college, Trayvon Martin was killed that year. And then Black Lives Matter started the following year. So I've been like following them for the last seven, eight years. Um, so yeah, I also have a whole video about this on my Instagram. If y'all go back and look for it. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. I, someone asked me to like make a whole video like, hey, how did you get involved in activism? And, well, I, and I also, I, will you send it to me? Yeah. Okay. I, I'm also curious, like, it seems like, and tell me if this is wrong, but it seems like you have this ability to have an idea and then realize it. And it doesn't seem like there's like a lot of space in between. It seems like you know how to overcome hurdles that would stop people from doing something in your own life. Does that make sense? Like, how did that, how did you develop that in your life? Like, was that just kind of a natural thing or did that come with over time? Do you know what I'm asking? Like, how did I find my voice essentially? Or like, how did I knew I could do it? Like, what are my steps when I'm like, have I ever like met a... like a barrier to getting things done well how did you it and tell me i guess i would i guess maybe i would love to know about your process because it seems like you know how to get shit done and a lot of people know what it requires and that allows that that stops them but it doesn't seem to stop you you know what i'm saying i'm very much in this window ever since emma watson Am I making this up? Emma Watson from Harry Potter. Yeah. She made a speech. And ever since she made the comment of, if not me, then who? If not now, then when? Has has been sitting with me ever since I, re- I watched that speech of hers. And so as a Black queer woman living in Texas, I still am very aware of my privileges. Like, for lack of a better term, like, I'm very pal- palatable. I am well-received. I am given a lot of space. And so... I use my privileges and spaces to help create space and give a voice to those who often aren't invited to things. But I'm also a big believer in that, like, if the space doesn't, doesn't exist, I'll create it myself and I don't make apologies for it. And I think a lot of, particularly women of color, we're really leaning into that energy now. And so being, being here in Austin and being very black, very queer, very woman, very loud, very driven, um, a lot of people have really resonated with what, with with what I've said and a lot of people was like how do you do like these huge speaking engagements and how do you not get nervous I'm like no I get nervous I think if you don't get nervous you should really question if it's something you should be doing like if you don't get nervous to me it means you don't care like I get nervous every time I'm about to do a speaking engagement so with me it's just been a lot of you know I will take opportunities and I know that, you know, someone who identifies like I do seeing me on that stage gives them permission to also take up space in the future. But I also know that if there's ever a time when I can't do a speaking engagement or a panel, I'm very big on bringing other people in, particularly people of color, queer people, women. Um, And I was saying this to someone the other day, um, if I'm offered a speaking engagement and I can't, I will do the work to find someone else to fill my spot before I even get back to the company. It's like, I'll do the work of being like, Hey, I got this offer for 
next Tuesday. I can't do it. Can you let that person get back to me? If they say yes, I will then do tell the company, hey, I can't, but I have this person who was open. Would it be okay if I introed you? So just always sharing space. I've been saying to people for a long time, there is no reason why we can't all win in this mindset of like, we should always be in competition with each other. We should always be fighting to be at the top. We should always be like knocking other people down to get ahead. And I, I don't subscribe to that. I want to uplift voices that are often ignored. So yes. I feel like that's, that's my answer. I love that. No. And like that, that's, that makes me think of so many things. First of all, I'm going to write down um, space, but uh, getting, you talked about getting nervous for speaking events and that made me think of um, the actor Henry Fonda who was like in 12 Angry Men he's a classic actor and he did stage for you know theater for decades and it was said that before every show he would vomit because he was still so nervous and I love what you said about like you need to be nervous because that means that you care mm-hmm. and that's what I love about like the creative process and just doing things in terms of if you're nervous, that's fine. That's totally okay. Does that stop you? Cause that's where the issue is. Right. Like if you get scared and don't go and speak and you run away, that's where you need to, you need to consider that part. Um, but it's fine to be nervous. Like it, it's all about like managing that barrier and that, thing that comes up. Um, the other thing that you talked about, about creating space, um, it made me think about the medium that I love, which is movies and film, and which is predominantly for you know a, a century been dominated by white cis male. I grew up loving movies and I grew up loving this medium. And as I've grown up and as I've been looking at it over the past few years, um, I've been like, my voice has been the predominant and basically only voice for over a hundred years. What does this mean for me as somebody who wants to participate in this medium and tell stories and the reckoning with the idea of, Hey, develop tools, develop skills, develop abilities, and then offer them in service of other people who have important stories to tell. That is your role. And it's this interesting thing because the medium itself has been historically, uh, you know, run by people who are kind of like lone wolf, selfish uh, go-getters who are like, I'm going to get my way. You know, that's how you get ahead. And realizing now, like, okay, uh, that's how it's been. But we're in 2020 now. And, you know, that was that masculine power may be super outdated. And what we might need now is this more feminine power of collective and sharing of, the ability to say, Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, here, I have these tools. Can you use them for the purpose that you have? Um, and yeah, like, you know, this is, of course, this is like speaking from a place of privilege, but what I've been talking about over the past couple of months with my family, especially, you know, it's July and with everything going on, I've been like, how can we affect change in ourselves in a sustainable way? Um, you know, besides, you know, participating in protests and donating money and supporting black businesses. Like what can we do that will actually produce change that will be long lasting? And I was, one of the things that I've been pressuring my family is like to educate yourself and 
make sure that you see what you didn't see before because once you see it, you can't unsee it. And I know my family and they have huge hearts and they're gonna do stuff if they see something that's wrong. And so this pressuring of, hey, we need to be reading these, these texts that we normally wouldn't have read because it's depressing or because it's sad. It's like, no, you need to read these things because this is the world that people live in, you live in, and you need to know about these things so that you can then help. Um, and I don't know, I, I'm curious to think about, to hear what you think about the idea of allyship in terms of creativity. Um, and it kind of sounds like that's what you were going for in terms of like uh, speaking engagement and people's voices. I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts on all of that that I just dumped on you? Allyship and creativity. Should be the norm. Have you watched Disclosure yet? Yes, in parts. We were watching it the other night. Um, finish it. Watch it straight through. It's freaking great. Yeah. But I think about uh, the word allyship first and how it's kind of thrown around these days. It's become something sort of, something sort of performative. I did a whole breakdown of this of my episode with Brittany. Go back and listen to it. I'm not talking about it again. But yes, for me, allyship and creativity is so important. And I think, you know, I automatically think of the organization Boss Babes ETX, which is an org here in Austin that I've done a lot of work with the last couple of years. They've featured me on a bunch of their panels and I'm so grateful for the space they've created for women and non-binary folks. Um, but they have really set the tone of what it means to create space and bring in different voices. And that's something I really hold true, like I've said before. And I think allyship is more than just diversifying. Allyship is literally making space so that people can be comfortable. I think it is super easy to throw in a person of color or to just throw, and I don't mean just throw, that's like a flippant term, but like to just have created like this spot for a black person or a trans person kind or a like queer person. Check a box. Be like, Correct. Here they are. It's, exactly. It is easy right. to check a box, but are you setting them up for success? Mm -hmm. Which is like what I said, I make sure that the person I'm going to nominate i talk to them first because like i'm super comfortable doing speaking engagements but maybe they aren't and who am i to be like oh my god i think you're ready like i want to listen to that person and and, and really take into consideration how they feel and so i think when we think about allyship in the creative space it is literally creating a space where this person can thrive and be successful we should not be setting these people up mm -hmm. for failure well it goes back to what you were saying about the black church versus the white church which is if you build it around a relationship versus legalism you it feels it that's what it's intended to be so if you're supporting people because you actually care about them and you want their voice to be heard and you're interested in their voice that's where it should come from it shouldn't come from oh we could get sued so we're going to have a person of color or a non-binary person you know mm -hmm. um i think that i don't know i just kind of i i wanted to tie that back in because I was thinking about a lot what you were saying earlier about that church. <laughs> um, I, I hope if we ever in Connecticut at the same time, I would love to have you come to my like childhood church with me. It's like the best. Like even when I'm home still, like I still go to church when I'm home. Here's the deal. I don't go to church anymore, but I will go to church with you wherever you want to go. Okay. Let me know. Yeah. I'm and literally also, like, writing you that blank check. <laughs> um, there's also uh 
like off record off the podcast there's a church here yeah. in austin called life in the city and they've been doing virtual church okay um, i also went to gateway church for a while and they yeah. were super cool so there's options here if like you ever want to like dip your toe back into church life i know it's not for everyone and trust me i'm still like moving through my own shit with it especially because i'm probably sure i no. won't be married to a man <laughs> um so yeah can I- I can tell you, though, I have not been more uh, religiously and spiritually aroused than I was when the, I guess it was parish pastor of the church that Trump stood in front of for that photo op came out and just denounced him and did a lot of speaking engagements. And she was articulate and thoughtful and kind and severe. And I was like, this is the church that I remember and want to be a part of. And... I just, I, I was like, maybe I should check back in because she's speaking what I remember to be true. Right. I don't know. There's always time to, to go back. I mean, for me, when I first came out, I mean, I didn't go to church for like a good six months when I moved to Austin. And then I finally found a church that worked for me. But yeah, there's always, always space. Yeah. Oh, I, and that's what I love about um, what feels like a new generation of church people because it kind of you know, for whatever reason, some of them, I think they're like, we're losing members and others are like, Hey, this is actually the right way. Uh, they, they feel more accepting to queer people in, in like very traditional forms. Like, Hey, if you're a gay cis, a cis gay man, you, you're, you can come, you know, if you're a cis lesbian woman, you can come and it's progress, but it's not all inclusive. But, um, I like that the tiny steps are being made. If that makes any sense. Absolutely. Progress, no matter how small, is still good. I'm loving uh, this like interview session. I think my, my listeners would appreciate a little hot seat energy for me once in a while. Well, I always love just knowing more about the hosts in real time because like you can collect information through as you listen to the episodes. But, you know, this is kind of another resource for people who are like, uh, I didn't know that Bree used to be a teacher or, you know, like that you grew up in New Haven. Like, just like, I yeah. wanted to kind of collect all of these facts. Um, episode 14 of the Tea with Brie is a episode about me and my life. If y'all want to go back and listen, it's a whole deep dive into me. This, this reveals that I haven't listened to that episode. Yeah, I didn't want to call you out, but <laughs> here we are. And I came in hot, be like, I listen, I know this podcast. Oh my God. <laughs> we won't hold it against you. I think the kids would still like to hear some questions. So we're good. Um, yeah, no, I'm feeling, I'm feeling great. I also like love that. Like, I love all these people, like all my friends, like still like we're learning so much about each other. So yes, we're good. We're Gucci out here. Um, any other, any other questions? I like this like little interview swap. (laughs) What was the first CD you ever bought? Ooh, my first CD I ever bought. I was just talking to a friend the other night. The first CD I ever purchased with my own money was in sync, no strings attached. Girl. Wasn't my first, but I remember exactly the morning when I bought it. It was... <laughs> we went to, like, Tom Thumb before yeah. school, and I was like, they're not going to have it, and they had it, and I brought it to school, and I, like, had to keep it in my desk, but I, like, just had it with me, and I felt so cool for having that CD case. Ugh. You're, you were the coolest, Ben. I'm sure of it. Truly, truly not. 
<laughs> I'm going to counter that and say no. I think, I think that I made everyone who came into contact with me feel good. And that was, that was the, the cool factor that I had. What a beautiful thing, though. I think that was what I valued. My, I valued my whole life. Just being super intentional and making sure people leave better when they leave you. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's what I'm about. Ben with the good times, let me tell you. Ben can throw quite the party, too. That Halloween party is still one of my faves. You? How late were you there? Were you there until 3? Oh, I was there till three and <laughs> it was getting messy. I woke up at like five in the morning and there was still karaoke being happening. No. There was still Steven and his best friend Ricky doing uh, Unbreak My Heart oh, at the top of their lungs. <laughs> the top of their lungs. <laughs> and I just came out of the bedroom, looked at them. I didn't even say a word. I just like looked and he was like, Okay, I'm sorry. I want to point out that Stephen, I mean, yeah, Stephen and I sang that song earlier in the night. Like, he sang it again, is what you're telling me. Yep, he he did it. And he didn't remember one of them. I love it. He was like, oh, yeah, I only did it once. (laughs) I love him so much. Um, I love this. If y'all want to chat with Ben, I will be sure to link Ben's Instagram in the show notes because he is quite the character and everyone should chat with him, get to know him. He's. A brilliant filmmaker. He is just an all-around great guy and great friend. And I'm so happy that our paths crossed in my time that I was here. As you know, I like to ask one final question at the end of each show as a sort of palate cleanser, leaving us on a high note. And my question, as always, is what is the best advice you were given, ever given? Or what's a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? So I've been thinking about this question for uh, about a week or so, mm-hmm. and I realized that I kind of have three mottos that I live my life by, and I kind of want to walk you through them because they kind of lead into each other. Okay. So the first motto comes from my friend, Eric, who I met in college. He was like a brilliant violinist and he was like the head of his orchestra but also really loved doing drugs and we did a lot of explicit things together and he had an older brother who had a really hard time um his name was Dietrich and Dietrich got mixed up in a lot of really bad things drugs and otherwise and it was kind of a narrative for the years that I knew Eric that Dietrich was kind of on the outs and one day, Dietrich kind of cleaned up. He kind of got it, his shit together. And it really baffled me. And I went with Eric to Arkansas, where he's from. And I got to meet Dietrich and kind of talk to him a little bit. And I remember kind asking him, like, you know, like, what, what changed? What happened? And... You know, I was like, why did you, why aren't you doing, you know, drugs anymore or psychedelics or whatever? And he just looked at me and he was like, I learned everything I needed to. And it kind of stuck with me. Um, And this idea, specifically, I thought about this in toxic relationships or, you know, I, or I quit smoking cigarettes about three years ago, um, thinking in terms of bad habits. The first thing that I would tell my younger self is, 
don't make yourself feel bad about whatever it is, going back to an ex, going back to a bad habit, you know, whatever. Um, go back as many times as you need to because one day you won't need to. Um, and kind of that levity and that giving yourself space, you know, acknowledging that something may not be good for you, but also being like there will be an end to this. Um, that really helped me. And it kind of leads into the second mantra that I live by, which is finding your wavelength. And what I mean by that is it's always been hard for me to do things. I kind of am motivated by the things that I love. When someone else tells me to do something, I can never do it. Uh, or it's really, I drag my feet. And I always thought of that as a flaw until I recognized that when you find your wavelength, that's when you thrive. That's when you excel. Um, and really being able to listen to whatever reverberations you have that come from you is important because that's where your creativity comes from. That's where your productivity comes from, but that's also where your relationships and your loves come from. So finding the wavelength and paying attention to does this relationship like like listening, does this feel right? Does this feel good? Does this habit feel right? Does this feel good? Once you do that and like, trying as best as you can to stay on that wavelength that's super important um and then the third thing once you find that wavelength uh specifically in the terms of creativity bringing it all back um the mantra comes from elizabeth gilbert of all people um and she said the thing that changed my life which is done is better than good um, as a creative person, as somebody who grew up thinking, wanting to make movies and thinking I had to be a prodigy to even have a career, thinking that I had to make an, a masterpiece, you know, out the gate so that I would be able to live doing this. Um, recognizing that completing something is so much better than hoping that you'll make something that is perfect, important, or good. Um, and making sure that you do things rather than making sure that you do something that is perfect is the goal. As, as somebody who's walked down the creative path for over a decade now intentionally, the idea of doing something, whether or not the value of it is good or bad, but simply doing it is the important goal. And that's something that I think about all the time. And I tell my younger self, don't put the pressure on yourself to make something of value, put the pressure on yourself to complete something and then do it again. So that's what I would tell my younger self. I hope it helps. Elizabeth Gilbert is the best. Done is. is better than good. I hear all of my people saying that now, especially here in quarantine. It's so important. So yeah. thank it's- you. Thank you. Thank you for this chat. I love you you, so very much. I love you. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to get to be on this podcast and to get to spend this time with you. Me too. I really appreciate it. And that's it for for this week's episode of The Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Tea with Brie. Send me an email at theteawithbrie at gmail.com and visit the website theteawithbriepodcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I will talk to y'all later this week. Bye.